You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Welcome to The Fabulous Invalid, Broadway's podcast where we present essential conversations with a curated roster of the best, most important, and innovative theater makers working today, from actors to writers, directors, designers, and everyone in between. We took our name from the title of a 1938 play by Kaufman and Hart that has since become a loving nickname for Broadway itself, always deemed on the verge of decline, yet always bouncing back, The Fabulous Invalid. I'm theater savant Jamie Dumont. And I'm Rob Russo, writer and theater critic with Stage Left at NYC and Stage Left the Podcast. Hi, Rob. Hi, Jamie. Well, here we are at home. Yes. Still. Yes. Still, exactly. Never left. Right? Never left. Moving forward. <laughs> are we moving forward? It's hard yeah, to tell. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I'm choosing it's, to believe so. It's Monday, Tuesday, Sunday, it's, next yeah, day. Exactly. Yeah. I've seen that going around. Love yeah, it. time I know heals everything. Not, you know? I'm not original, but it is yeah. Tuesday. It's <laughs> it is a beautiful spring day, so I see out my window. And uh, today we have a we have yet another sort of special episode, yeah. kind of in vein of the in line really with the theme of our show, the fabulous invalid, um, the notion of Broadway bouncing back. Today we'll be discussing the business of Broadway with Lee Seymour, who is the senior contributor of Arts in Hollywood at Forbes magazine. And he was also a producer on The Inheritance, which prematurely closed its run early due to the shutdown. And also is a play that Rob and I are both very, very fond of. Yes, yes, yes. Um, And also joining us is uh, Dory Berenstein, who is a four-time Tony Award-winning Broadway producer, an Emmy Award-winning director, and uh, producer and writer of film and television. Her Broadway credits include Full Moon, 30 Modern Millie, um, the 2013 revival of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and of course, The Prom, which I lost count of how many times I saw. I loved that show. Uh, yes, I think that's a, that's a, that's a fair assessment to say for both of us. Um, and I also love that we have to put a date on what revival of Virginia Woolf it was because every several years, there's a, another really fantastic revival. And of course, one that we will never get to see, um, that closed again because of the shutdown starring Laurie Metcalf and Rupert Everett. Yeah. Yeah. And just to close the loop on Dory, I, of course, we have to mention, that uh, among all of her many hats, uh, she's also the co-founder and CEO of the Broadway Podcast Network, which, of course, this show is a very proud member of. And Stage Left the Podcast is also a member of the Broadway Podcast Network. Ah, uh, our, our beloved BPN. Well, yes, our little BPN family. <laughs> before we get to our show, I yeah. think we wanted to talk about some fun stuff that we've either been streaming or looking forward to streaming. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, first and foremost, I, I implore anyone who's listening to this podcast to go um, check out the Broadway Podcast Network um, if you haven't already, um, because there's so, so much content and folks have gotten very creative, uh, just like us, and they're recording from home and keeping their shows going. So there's a lot of really great podcast content that you can check out uh, on broadwaypodcastnetwork.com. There really is. And I think even Mo Brady with The Ensemblist is yes. doing something mm-hmm. every single day. He's right. dealing with either response or how people are, you know, coping. It's really remarkable, um, the con- not only the content that he's putting out, but but also just the, the, 
the incredible people he's talking to. It's really a very good thing to listen to. Totally, totally. And I think I'm not alone because I've, I've, I've spoken to uh, several other friends and colleagues who've said the same thing. That, like, I'm actually getting a little overwhelmed with the number of things that I can stream and download and tune into and uh, watch and listen to. Um, but one, one thing I found really helpful, my little, my little tip of the day, um, is feedermania.com. Uh, on their landing page, they have um, a link called Shows You Can Stream at Home. And they, they update it daily. And it's a really, really helpful resource for all the different things that are going on. You know, it seems like every theater company has their own little, um, you know, situation going on online. Um, so if you check that out, uh, theatermania.com, shows you can stream online. It's a really helpful little guide for what you can, what you can catch. And I don't know, uh, Jamie, have you, have you tuned into anything that you've, that you've really enjoyed? Well, I've streamed some of the Met live, some of the opera. You mm-hmm. can go to metopera.org. Um, they've got quite a few things up. I don't yeah. really know how long they're, I've sort of, I, I can't tell you exactly how long each production has been up yeah. for. Um, Nixon in China was the last thing I watched, and it was oh, cool. uh, it, something I saw at the Met live, and yeah. it's, it's almost never done. It's an incredible, incredible production. Um, yeah. If it's still up, go check it out. Totally. My my favorite thing um, is uh, the National Theater uh, over in the UK. They've they've been streaming um, or rather making available uh, shows from their archive, much like the Met Opera's been doing. Um, and uh, One Man, Two Governors, which was uh, a Richard Bean play that was on Broadway in 2013, I think, with uh, James Corden, um, is uh, was available. I don't know if it still is. Um, for to to stream in full, and I just absolutely loved that play. I hope it's still available because I forgot to watch it, and yeah, I think no, really I think on those you have yeah. about a week, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, they're 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 releasing them on an ongoing basis. I mean, even something as simple as um, City Center, you know, the Encore series, they've been releasing, um, you know, sort of like a song a day um, through their own little video series that they have online, which is a fun little short thing that you can tune into every day to get a little uh, little dose of Broadway. Um, something else I, I read about that I thought was really cool um, is the Irish Repertory Theater Company, which is, um, I think, one of the great sort of like hidden gems of New York theater. Um, you know, they're located in Chelsea. Um, they have um, a little initiative that they're calling The Show Must Go Online, um, which is pretty clever. And they've got, you know, a- alumni of their shows recording videos of monologues and songs and scenes um, from, you know, the Irish-American canon. Uh, so you can find that at irishrep.org. And I know um, New York Theater Workshop, which is another, I mean, talk about an amazing powerhouse company. Um, they've been doing uh, master classes and fireside chats with um, you know, some of the folks who've been involved in their productions um, that are pretty neat. I think for those, you need to reserve a spot. For those, you need to go to nytw.org and sign up and register, but it's well worth it. They, they have master classes with Rachel Chavkin, Doug Wright, Jeremy O'Harris, Celine Strong, Celia Keenan-Bolger, and I'm sure they'll be announcing many, many more as the weeks go on. Yeah, cool. Amazing. Awesome. Well, before we get to our conversation with Lee and Dory all about uh, the business of Broadway during this uh, rather perilous moment for the industry, uh, there's some breaking news today from the American Theater Wing. Um, and we were very uh, delighted to be able to have an opportunity to chat with uh, Heather Hitchens, who is the president and CEO of the American Theater Wing. We had her on the show 
I guess, almost a, a little more than a year ago to talk about uh, The Wing and all the great stuff that they do. So we're going we're gonna to chat with her real quick about how The Wing is responding to COVID-19, and then we'll get to Lee and Dory. Heather, thank you for joining us today. As many of you know, Heather is the president and the CEO of The Wing, and The Wing had a big announcement today. Yes, uh, we did, and I'm I'm delighted to be here. Um, this is these are very surreal and difficult times, and uh, we at the Wing, like every theater organization, like every person, like every institution, has been really sort of digging deep and figuring out what um, we need to do to pivot and um, to um, respond to uh, the times we're living in with this COVID nineteen pandemic. And um, we made a series of announcements of what we're calling our first response to this because, you know, I think one of the things that makes this uh, pandemic so difficult is that um, we don't know how long it's going to last. Most of the media and entertainment, the publicly traded media entertainment companies have withdrawn their guidance because they're just saying we don't know. Um, Mm. So... I've been telling people this is a marathon, it's not a sprint, and that we have to stay flexible, nimble, and responsive. Um, so we looked at our core capabilities and said, how, how can we pivot? How can we respond? And first of all, um, there was a pressing decision in front of us regarding the Obie Awards. Um, the Obie Awards were to take place May 18th at Terminal 5. It became clear to us, two things became clear to us. One, um, that we probably weren't going to be able to gather by then. Mm-hmm. And two, our, the season had been cut short um, because when this hit, you know, we, there was, I, you know, we we're in the process of compiling a list, but there, uh, I think our list is up to 90 productions off and off, off Broadway that had to um, cancel or postpone and over 500 artists affected. Um, and so we were left with a bit of a dilemma. Um, the judges of uh, the OB judges led by the amazing Rachel Halk and Sam Pinkleton really felt strongly that we take the time to honor what did exist off Broadway and off off Broadway this season because it was extraordinary. And, um, but that we also find a way to acknowledge what had been lost because all this art had been lost. So much of it will not come back. Um, And so uh, what you heard today was that we were both going to have a digital OBS presentation to honor the social distancing, but we were also going to take some of the funds that we would have used to produce the OBS along with um, more substantial funds that we raised to create a relief fund targeted to the artists who were involved in the productions that were canceled or postponed. Um, it's not, it's not much. It's a small gesture. It's $250,000. It's up to $500 per artist, um, until the funds run out. But it was, you know, us speaking to our, um, core values, us making a gesture and, and, and to say to the world that like, this is, we're doing our part here and everybody, if everybody does their part, we can get through this. That was the immediate thing. And then we said, we are the American theater wing. We are the big tent for theater. We're about Broadway, off-Broadway, and the regions. And how do we, um, you know, respond nationally? And we 
for many years ran something called the National Theater Company Grants. And we there were 82 companies that had gone through a vetting process that we said these are fabulous companies all over the country that have done great work. Is Can we just reach out to them and say, you know, in solidarity, we have your back. Here's $1,000 to keep going. Um, so that's the second part of the response. Um, and then the third part of the response that was in today's announcement was a big part of what we do beyond honoring excellence on and off Broadway and in the regions is uh, training, supporting, educating the next generation. And so many of these kids, well, all of them are home, right? So whether they go to high school um, or they go to college, they're studying from home. And so mm. for a lot of these theater kids, they're missing out on um, productions, um, classes, live and in-person. And we thought we do all these, you know, live and in-person workshops. Why don't we just take advantage of the technology situation and let's launch a series of online masterclasses and workshops for people on both on stage and off and um, do it through uh, Zoom and Facebook Live and give uh, all the kids at home some uh, access to, you know, Broadway's greatest talents. And so we're excited to be launching that um, very soon as a way to also, you know, continue that educational mission. So all of these programs that you that you've announced that you you can learn more about them on your website theamericantheaterwing.org, correct? Correct. Amazing. And and I I'm, I'm curious. I know that there was an announcement earlier that the Tony Awards, which, you know, is another one of your signature um annual events, um had been postponed. Is there any is there any update on that front or is it sort of a stay tuned? It's a stay tuned. We're working, you know, our collective butts off on it. It's a complicated. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the thing is, it, I mean, it doesn't really take a crisis, but the crisis really does bring out people's true colors and the true colors of the Broadway community are pretty spectacular. Um, mm. You know, there's lots of ideas, there's lots of opinions, but they're mostly the most important thing is there's a lot of heart um, and there's a lot of integrity and there's a lot of grit. And those are three, um, you know, qualities that are going to come up with the right solution for us and allow us to move forward elegantly. Wherever all of this lands, it will be exactly that. It will be elegant as it always is. And, um, you know, we, we've really enjoyed uh, in the past couple of weeks getting to talk to folks who were, who were doing exactly what you described, you know, which is why we wanted to have you on today and responding and, and bringing out all the, the best qualities and features of this community and bringing the heart and the creativity to, uh, to keep us all together and to keep us moving forward. Thank you so much for your time today, Heather. The, the Wing is an extraordinary institution, and um, it's times like this that leaders like you show us what it is to be a leader, and so we appreciate that. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm sitting here in my, uh, up in the Catskills trying my best. Uh, it's, it's, this is the time when, you know, it's the hardest time to be a leader, but this is when you realize you're incredibly privileged to be able to move something forward and help um, a community heal. Well, thank you so much. And healing we yeah. need to do. All right, Heather, thank you so thank much. You. We'll let you uh, get on with your day. Thank you. Thank you. And now for our conversation with Lee and Dory. Lee and Dory, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank Thrilled you. to be with you. 
Yes, yes. Um, well, as we all know, Broadway was shut down on March 12th. And this was a really historic decision without precedent, really, and um, stands to have an unprecedented impact on the business as a whole. Um, Dory, as a, as a Broadway producer uh, with a show, you know, currently up that was, um, that was poised to open just before this, this shutdown, how did you find out about um, the decision to shut down Broadway? And what was your first thought? Uh, well, you know, the writing seemed to be on the wall. I think everybody was anticipating some kind of shutdown, at least brief a brief shutdown until everybody could get their arms around what in the world was going on and uh, how we needed to react responsibly. Uh, I'm also on the Board of Governors, so I was part mm. of uh, the discussions that were happening early on uh, leading up to the decision to close. So I, I, you know, knew about it and knew it was coming on and ha- of course, I was completely heartbroken uh, for all the shows and all the sh- 16 shows that were about to open that uh, were poised, you know, to to for opening night and they are not getting their chance. So just really heartbroken, but also devastated for the ticket buyers and people who, you know, had been planning on attending all these shows for so long and maybe people traveling for spring break and coming to New York City and that everything just came to a standstill. So it's just in every way heartbreaking. Lee, your beat for Forbes is literally the business of Broadway. And you're also a producer of The Inheritance, which uh, which was up this season, but also had to close a couple of days early because of the shutdown. How did you hear about it? And uh, what were your initial thoughts? Um. I, so I, f- I first heard about it while I was actually driving away from New York. I uh, left New York three three weeks ago, the day that it got shut down. Um, so I, I heard about it uh, from my partner who was on the phone and got a news notification as we were driving past New Rochelle, which at the time was functionally quarantined. So it felt like we were kind of racing horrifying mm. news up the coast away from the city my first thought in that case was, fuck, we are so fucked. <laughs> um, I mean, and, and to echo Dory's point as well, I, I don't mean that to sound uh, so flippant. It's, it's terrifying and so saddening. I think we got in some way a very bittersweet silver lining with the inheritance because we only lost four performances, I think, um, before we were set to close. And as Dory said, there's 16 shows that, that never even got to open. And many of those probably won't. And that's uh, just horrifying. I just want to say how much I love the inheritance. I thought it was so magnificent. Just oh, Thank you so much. Thank you, Dory. <laughs> Well, Dory, I'm I'm glad that you that you mentioned the ticket buyers as well because I feel like I haven't really seen that perspective, um, you know, spoken about from folks in the industry. Um, you know, obviously everyone's concerned about the shows that they were working on and and the actors and the creatives mm-hmm. and making sure everybody is you know being taken care of in this time. But you know, Broadway is is the heart of the New York economy, and people, you know, going to a Broadway show is a really special thing. I you know. Those of us on this on this episode today, we see Broadway shows all the time. But for your average theater goer, it's you know it's an event and it's something that you plan for. Um, right. I was wondering if 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 both of you or you know if you could take turns, um, could give a bit of an illustration of of what Broadway means to the economy of New York. So Broadway, what what it means literally to the economy of New York, just in number terms, is it means almost fourteen billion dollars per year. 
in uh, revenue and economic impact uh, means 87,000 jobs that are supported by the industry and almost $600 million in tax revenue. So it is a cornerstone of the city, both with its cultural cachet and as a driver for other industries like restaurants and hospitality and tourism. It's huge. Um, I, I know this is kind of often quoted, but I think it's really worth saying again that more people see a Broadway show in any given year than see the, the attendance of all 10 major New York and New Jersey sports teams combined. So it's huge. That's my favorite statistic about Broadway. Yeah. yeah. When you think of New York, uh, you know, it is this very special uh, destination for this one-of-a-kind live you know, experience. I mean, not that it doesn't exist all over the world, but I mean, New York is very much known for that. So it hits at the heart of New York. And Absolutely. with $2 billion uh, a year in ticket sales, you know, this, it's a giant hit to the economy and to all the, the people that are the 87,000 jobs that are lost because of it. It's, it's massive. Yeah. What, what's incredible to me is that that $2 billion in ticket sales trickles out to be $14 billion in total economic impact, which, which speaks to what, Lee, you were saying. You know, it's not just the shows, but it's, it's restaurants, it's hotels, it's parking lots, it's <clears throat> souvenir shops. It's, it's the whole ecosystem of Midtown, basically, that hangs yeah. on Broadway. It's massive. It's absolutely massive. Wow. Um, so now that we're in this shutdown um, era, um, and you know, I should say we're recording this on April third, so you know, news is is changing all the time. But as of now, we don't know, you know, when Broadway will be back. You know, the initial shutdown was till April twelfth, but I don't think anybody believes that is actually going to be um, the extent of it. Um, Dory, how does a producer navigate this 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 time and? Um, make the decision, the hard decision of whether to close, like, you know, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and Hangmen already have, or to weather the storm? And, and what factors go into that decision? Well, this is new territory. You know, no, obviously nobody has been through this before. And I think that uh, uh, what's, what's positive is that everybody is working together to try and figure it out. And and everybody is working very hard to figure out how to support all the people in the community who are out of work at the same time. Uh, and, uh, you know, in terms of how you manage this and navigate this for your show, I think it so depends on the show. Uh, and obviously, uh, the longer this goes on, the more challenging it is for any show. But you can have a show that is so dependent on tourism, and you have to think about, well, what does this mean, even if Broadway ramps up, um, it's going to be much longer potentially before we have an influx of tourism again. And so it's not like you can just turn the lights on when that moment comes and you're back in business. So it, it's going to affect, you know, different shows in different ways. Uh, there are a lot of shows and I, I, I admire this so deeply that have, you know, completely embraced Zoom and Zencaster and all these, um, uh, digital platforms, and they're continuing to rehearse and are continuing to work with their shows to keep things fresh and and moving forward and anticipating return, and uh, and that's fantastic and low cost. But ultimately, you know, in addition to uh, uh, all the marketing and advertising that's going to go into having to reboot and and let the world know <coughs> that we're back and that you can buy tickets to these shows and come see them. 
assuming the world is is comfortable stepping back into these environments, you know, you're going to have to get back in the rehearsal room and start to to uh, uh, get ready. And that costs money that no one ever anticipated having to spend again. And so yeah. producers are, are needing to regroup and, and figure out how are we going to finance this. And some shows, uh, perhaps because of the teams around the shows or their investors or because of, of uh, uh, you know, the, the money that had already come in, they're able to start to figure out how they're going to finance this. And in other instances, it's just un- unknown. It's overwhelmingly uh, uh, daunting and perhaps devastating. So uh, it's, uh, you know, and no one knows when, when this is going to end. So uh, it's changing every day. Dory, the outside of the sort of surprise costs you just outlined, the costs of having to go back and rehearse when you didn't put that into your initial budget, because why would you? What are the costs associated with keeping a show sort of in a, in a hold pattern right now? Well, I think one of the things that is being discussed is uh, trying to figure out what are the obligations in terms of ongoing payments. And of course, every show is uh, working closely with uh, the Broadway League and the unions to try and make sure that um, the artists involved and the all the people around the show uh, are, are paid for as long as it makes it's possible to pay them. Uh, and uh, at the same time, um, you know, it's not like every, the sh- many of the shows, and particularly the new shows, have, have uh, resources to keep that going indefinitely. Uh, and you also have um, the obligation of paying rent to the theater owners and not clear on what those, how that's all going to play out in terms of how long uh, that obligation will exist and how people can sustain that. So uh, there are a lot of, a lot of considerations and uh, uh, everyone is trying to navigate this um, and get as much support for uh, their show family as possible along the way. Well, from a from a you know sort of business angle, Lee, I'm I'm curious what your perspective is, you know, because it, it seems to me that that the worst thing you ever want in any sort of business is lack of clarity and and, <laughs> and and inability to plan for the future, right? And that's sort of where Broadway is right now. And you know, as we've already talked about, it's not just the you know 41 theaters on Broadway; it's it's the ecosystem that 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 benefits from that as well. Um, what do you see as as the, the the particular difficulties and challenges you know in this moment where there is a lack of clarity and inability to plan? I mean, Dory hit a lot of it uh, uh, right right on the head. I mean, the the big the big things that I would think about are all of these sort of unforeseen costs, like re-rehearsing. But like she said, also it's well, one, it's going to be different for every show, right? And so, so for example, a limited run show that has movie stars attached to it, so like American Buffalo, Plaza Suites, How I Learned to Drive this season, those are going to be really, really difficult. Even if they do have, you know, really strong reserves, those are going to be difficult to, to remount in the fall or next spring or whenever it happens because they're tied to star schedules, right? So that's one category. There's also shows that were sort of selling okay, but maybe not stellar, um, which, which uh, it, it's it, depending on the reserves of each show, that's going to uh, dictate basically how long they can keep um, 
keep paying people. So my understanding, and Dora, you might know more about this than I do, is that we've just hit the end of the three weeks that was originally negotiated between the league and the unions, where anyone who is currently in a show that was running or about to open was going to get compensated through these three weeks. Um, and then past that, it was sort of up to the individual shows based on what their resources are. So we've now just hit that. It's three weeks since since it shut down. Um, so from here on out, it's a big question mark. And I think the worst thing uh, we could do as an industry, big picture, uh, in light of this lack of clarity, is to reopen before it's safe to do so. Uh, it's, we're sort of in an impossible situation, right? So China just tried to reopen some of its theaters, and then they had to shut everything back down because that reopening of uh, um, congregation spaces created a new surge of infections. And that false start, like Dory was saying, represented millions spent in re-rehearsals, re-marketing, re-advanced building, all of which was functionally burned when they had to shut everything back down again a couple of days later. So that's what we want to avoid, both for like the personal health of our audiences and also long-term economic health of the business. We can't afford multiple false starts. And that's excruciating in the meantime. And mm. I completely agree with that. And the other thing, when you think about it, when you think about so many of the shows where there's, there is incredible dancing and, <laughs> and intimacy and all that, it's the actor's safety as well. And we can't jump the gun on that either. Absolutely. Well, while we're in this, in this interim moment, um, what do you think, if anything, um, the government um, at all levels, both you know, city, state, and federal, um, and private philanthropy uh, could be doing to help the industry that perhaps it currently already isn't? Well, I was really excited to, to see that uh, some ph philanthropists got together and created a $75 million fund for arts mm. organizations yeah. um, that specifically for that have uh, operating budgets under $20 million and they can apply for grants. So that was such a good uh, gesture, and I hope will <laughs> inspire others to do that, uh, <laughs> to support the arts. But, you know, I think that... Uh, with the um, uh, SBA loans, uh, I think um, so many of the organizations in the community are right now on their computers poised <laughs> to to press the button and, and apply and hopefully get some relief, uh, at least for, for a little while. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it also is uh, amazing what's going on in terms of the community coming together to support Broadway Cares and the Actors Fund and all the work that they're doing to support so many in our community who are now out of work. I mean, we need we need money and rent freezes in terms of like government and uh, and private philanthropy, money in people's pockets and a relief from the obligation to pay um, things like rent and mortgages. That's like literally it. You know, an, an ideal response. Uh, from the way I look at it, would be a complete freeze for X amount of months. No one pays rent, no one pays taxes, no one pays mortgages, no one pays insurance premiums, etc. The only money used, uh, you know, which could come from these stimulus bills, would be for groceries and supply and cha chain maintenance. And then the Fed ideally would buy up all that debt, which it can do, and just never collect on it. And we have, you know, a couple of lost months that are functionally written off the books at the end of it once people are able to go back to work. 
Lee, you have my vote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lee yeah. 2020. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think we've, I think we're starting a campaign right here. Yeah, right. Um, it's pretty shocking. It, it is shocking that, that this hasn't, this hasn't happened already. That the, the, that, that, that this is, the heels are being dragged on this at all is, is, is quite unfortunate. Um, so I have a question for both of you, you know, <clears throat> I think there's I think there's a thing you can say about um, Broadway that it's too big to fail, you know, much like the banks in two, in 2008. Um, but I, I'm curious, how does this compare to like a major financial crisis or even 9/11, where the theaters were shut down for a couple of days? Are there similarities? Are there differences? Is it too early to kind of even make that comparison? Well, when you think about 9/11, the the, the theaters I believe shut down for two days, so mm-hmm. it's it's radically different. And it was also, uh, you know, uh, for the community and the whole city and uh, to come together in support of uh, an enemy that was um, tangible. You know, you knew what happened for the most part and, and you know, to stand tall against it. You can't stand tall against this, you know, and, and uh, it, it is omnipresent. So it's a very different battle. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we were able to ramp up and recover much more quickly. And, and, uh, in 2008, it was, it was, I can tell you as a producer, it was challenging for the shows in terms of, you know, some loss of audience, but also raising financing for new projects was really difficult during that time. But these are all, you know, no one, no one would, um, was, uh, was life was at risk at that point. You know, it wasn't about that and survival and, and loss of massive jobs. It's just night and day. Um, this is a much different situation for the whole community. Yeah. I was about to say that, um, it's, it's less of a comparison and more of a contrast. You know, nine 11 was really an exogenous shock to the system, right? So people were scared. We shut the theaters down, but like Dory said, you could come back and stand tall together after 9-11, uh, you know, you didn't run the risk of somehow becoming a terrorist by attending the theater, right? Now right. we have the risk of you attend the theater and you could become a disease vector. And like that, that is something that mm-hmm. nobody can do anything about right now. Um, and and I do also want to highlight like the, the longer this goes on, like Dory said, 9-11 was a two-day shutdown. Uh, 2008, the industry was was in a slightly tougher spot, but sales, if you look back at what the, the industry was doing then sales-wise, we we dipped, you know, two or three percent maybe relative uh, to what we've been doing, but because there was still a, a relatively healthy flow of tourists into the city, we weren't hit as hard as some other sectors uh, uh, in 2008 and 2009. Um, but now, basically the farther we push back, there's the added complication of of the landlords who are i mean broadway is a real estate business on a certain level we've got 41 theaters 40 theaters maybe now if you want to not include the palace under renovation but those booking schedules can be set up to a year or two in advance so this is going to be a whole separate wave of tough choices six to eight to twelve months from now when the landlords have to decide between honoring agreements with shows that got shut down or honoring agreements with a show that's been planning on that theater being available for the last 18 months. So there's this added level of pain that's probably going to come in that we're not really thinking about yet. 
Mm. And it's interesting, you know, I, I believe the the general sort of historical take on 9-11 is that it, it basically forced three shows to close prematurely. That there were three shows, I think it was Kiss Me Kate, Rocky Horror, and one other one that like, you know, were poised to run longer. And because the, the audience wasn't there, the, the, the tourist market wasn't there, they had to close earlier. Um, you know, something that, that I imagine is going to be the case here is, as, as Dory mentioned, once, once we're back, um, that doesn't mean that the audience is back at the levels that it was. And, you know, Broadway, as, as we all know, has been booming for well over a decade now. Um, you know, it's every year sort of besting itself. Um, do we think this is the end of that boom? I mean, I think the answer to that is yes. But, um, you know, how do you anticipate this will change um, the business of Broadway moving forward? Well, I'm I'm a very hopeful person, and I <laughs> I really believe that this is this obviously uh, has put a major damper on things <laughs> for the foreseeable future, but that we will rebound. I believe in that deeply, and I and I think I'm also um, justified in that belief because I'm looking at you know I uh, uh, work with with you both on the Broadway Podcast Network, and I'm uh, what I'm seeing from that vantage point is that you have the world of podcasting out there that has dropped by twenty percent uh, overall because people aren't commuting, and that's often when they're listening to podcasts, right? Mm. But but the Broadway Podcast Network, and I think Playbill as well, um, we're seeing a gigantic leap of uh, twenty to thirty percent, depending on the day. Uh, in podcast listening because our, our community is so passionate and is, is all about connectivity and wanting um, uh, to be together. And there's such love and, and uh, confidence in, in the art, you know, belief and, and in the power of the art. So I do think that when, when uh, the dust clears and we're able to, get together and be together in that space that Broadway is going to come on really strong because everybody out there are, they are not going to let anything but that happen. I'm really seeing that online right now. And I really feel that Broadway will come back strong uh, whenever the time is right for it to come back. I agree. I mean, the only thing people are going to want to do when it's safe to do so is spend time with each other. And and indulge in the joys that they've been denied for months. Uh, so so I, I totally agree with Dory. I think that when we bounce back, we will bounce back hugely. My fear, and this actually relates uh, back to the last uh, question about you know comparisons to past crises. The one way in which I think that this could be a really apt comparison is its effect on the smaller theaters and the off Broadway. Uh, uh, market. So one of the, the biggest fallouts of uh, 9-11 was that a number of downtown theaters, basically the closer you were to um, the two towers, the the more likely you were, if you were a, a downtown theater, the more likely you were to lose your space um, because mm-hmm. people uh, were, were more frightened of going downtown than they were of coming back up to Midtown. And here for a different reason, I'm very frightened for the smaller to mid-sized downtown theaters, the ones that remain, because if they don't get the kind of relief that they need, they're not, uh, uh, you know, they don't necessarily have millions and millions in reserve cash. Uh, so, so I'm 
the greatest indignity of this all, I think, would be to see yet another downtown theater turned into a fucking Sephora because they didn't have a big mm. enough endowment to weather this. Mm. I, see, I agree. With you. What I'm what I'm hoping though is that a lot of those downtown theaters have very uh, committed uh, younger audiences, and mm. I'm I'm hoping that what happens is that you know the the <laughs> since since people of a certain age are um, a little bit more insulated from this uh, virus than others, that I think that if they can be come on strong and start supporting theater <clears throat> downtown, <clears throat> excuse me, then, then that could mitigate that problem. Uh, yeah, I can only hope that that's what happens. I hope so See, too. I, you know, it's funny. I've been thinking a lot about off-Broadway, um, in the last few weeks because I feel like it's getting overlooked a little bit in all of this. And my hope is that when we start to bounce back from this and people return to the theater, that off-Broadway actually has a a resurgence and a boom. Maybe that the economics of doing uh, an off-Broadway show could get a little easier, but also the fact that the theaters are smaller um, and and it's it's a smaller group of people coming together might be more enticing for an audience than sitting in a big um, in a big theater with twelve hundred or two thousand people. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's in some ways absolutely like I, I think. I mean, I have to assume this is the case that the reversal of the various orders against congregating um, will will take place in reverse order. So the smaller spaces will be you know come online, so to speak before the big spaces. So I, I do think that we'll see off-Broadway theaters come back online before we see Broadway houses, just given the size of the places. Um, I, I hope that this will in some way provide an opportunity to re-examine how we fund theater in general, both commercial and nonprofit. I, I hope, I hope it basically gives us a chance to look at how we set up contingencies for riskier shows and riskier products upon which we're still betting people's livelihoods, regardless of how, you know, safe a bet they are commercially. So I think there's a great opportunity here for Broadway and the arts more broadly to lobby now, especially in this next round of stimulus that's going to come through Congress for a federal subsidy, something similar to what exists in the UK or something like a, a very generous tax forgiveness package, something like that. I think there's a really strong, there's no better time right now for us to lobby on behalf of a more secure federal level safety net for the arts. Mm. Yeah, you know, and, and something, you know, speaking about, you know, big picture and, and sort of structural changes and things looking forward that would help this industry, um, you know, what's really come into high relief throughout this moment is sort of the lack of pre-existing resiliency built into this business and how it seems like everybody was caught kind of flat-footed and there was no there was no alternative then to just shut everything down right there was no there was nothing in already planned or 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 in train as a plan b for what to do with live performance when people cannot congregate and we're seeing now in a, it's been a couple of weeks a patchwork of of streaming services coming online and people creating content from various locations um, but i'm wondering if either of you have any thoughts about what this industry can do 
once we get past this immediate crisis, um, to be more resilient in the future, whether it's having a pro tape available for every show so that when, you know, when, when we have to shut down because of something, you can offer that to ticket buyers as something that they can still access to keep a revenue stream. You know, things like that. Do, do you have any ideas or thoughts about, about this idea of, of resiliency for the industry? I think that's a really good idea. I do think that it's important for, you know, uh, if particularly for the, the off-Broadway theaters that have shows and they what they have basically is, in some instances, is a lockdown shoot from the back of the house, you know, uh, and, and that isn't how you want people to experience theater. And so right. if there was a, some kind of fund that would give shows the opportunity to capture high quality versions of their show and that was carefully curated, then I think that that would be a wonderful thing. And I think a wonderful thing to have the record of that show. Um, But I I think we have to be careful because it could backfire if it's not done done well. But um, Mm -hmm. I am am, uh, inspired by uh, the resiliency of our community and how they have come together online to be innovative in creating entertainment and to connecting with the audience. And I, and I think what, what will actually uh, come out of that perhaps um, is uh, other layers of ways that we can communicate uh, about our shows and get people excited about it and uh, create programming around the shows, talkbacks, uh, engagement with uh, people involved behind the curtain um, where you, you, can have all these experiences around a show without, you know, having to, to uh, be in the theater. And I think that that could um, kind of uh, have potentially expand people's um, uh, engagement and excitement about a show. And, uh, and I think that, that that is something that could come out of this whole thing that could end up uh, being, having a positive impact on, community and growing the excitement about theater because at the end of the day there isn't anything like live theater and so you know to the extent that all of these things help generate excitement about what's possible at the end of the day you still have to show up and have that communal experience and all be together to experience uh the show in the room yeah, we, we all want to be in the room where it happens. Uh-huh. That's right. <laughs> As we get to the end of this this wonderful conversation, we could talk forever about the business of Broadway. Um, the, the the Tony Awards are obviously sort of a beacon for for Broadway and kind of the organizing principle, you know, structurally of the season. Right? They they kind of dictate when the season ends and begins. Um, you know, shows plan. Um, you know, not only around theater availability, but also around, you know, the Tonys and having a maximum impact and building a campaign. Um, Since, you know, as of today, we don't know the fate of the Tonys this year. And, you know, they're certainly not happening on June 7th. We know that. But um, how does the lack of a Tonys or the postponing of a Tonys um, impact the the business end of things as we're looking forward and trying to navigate um, the, the waters ahead? Like you said, I think it the Tonys can provide a sort of temporary lifeline to certain shows, and winning can occasionally be the difference between closing and turning a profit. However, I mean, in this case, I don't know. I, I try to be an optimist as well, and I'm wondering if this is not 
uh, if something that could come out of this is maybe a re-evaluation of exactly of like Tony timelines in general of, of when we hold mm. them, what they do for the industry. I mean, yeah. I, they're partly, I'm not exactly sure when the Tonys became set as a June thing. Uh, I don't know if it, how, how long before tourist season really became a thing over the summers. Cause right now, right now it coincides with the, the very beginning of when a lot of tourists are going to be coming to the city, which is perfect for shows that want a kind of national commercial then. Um, and really, I don't know. I'm, really, I think that's what we're looking at. If, if the Tonys happen this year, which they might not, uh, I mean, we could be looking at more of a just like acknowledgement gratitude type ceremony. Um, if they feel that too many shows were left off the docket, we could be looking at, uh, you know, a ceremony where, we're basically just recognizing shows that went up last year, but most of them will be closed or postponed and uh, won't necessarily benefit from the exposure. So really, I think the, the, the big takeaway could be the Tonys could be and and maybe should be like Broadway's calling card back to the nation of like, we're here, we're open for business, it's safe, like come back to Broadway. I feel like we're looking for bang for buck for the industry. If that's the timing, that makes sense. The question is whether or not that means postponing the Tonys for, you know, 12 months as opposed to three, which we still have no idea whether or not that's going to be necessary. Yeah. Yeah. I I would think that uh, the most important thing about the Tony Awards for the shows uh, is the, is to be seen on the Tony Awards, to have that moment to perform the, you know, it only, the Tony Awards only really moves the needle in a big way for the show that wins Best Musical. And yeah. otherwise, it's it's about the shows having that moment to shine on the Tony Awards. So to have a major event sooner rather than later that gives all these shows that are going to be reopening the chance to shine and to be out there for uh, the audience to see, I think Broadway is going to need that really badly and yeah. it to me it, i don't think it's going to be about you know uh who gets who gets the 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 actual tony i think that's going to be a lot less important than putting broadway out there and saying we're back and come and see our shows and that's that's what the tony's the next tony's should be about to me no i agree 100 percent as we finish this conversation, Lee, I want you to take off your, your journalism hat and Dory, I want you to take off your producer hat. And just as fans of the theater, can you each tell me what would be the first show you'd like to be an audience member of? <laughs> Ooh. Wow. Oh my gosh. I, I want to go back to six. Excellent. Oh, well, Everything. Uh, I would. I, I would. I would start at one show and then I'd sneak out and go to another one and another one. Right. And I just want to see. I'd be so excited to be back in the theater with everyone and yeah. uh, uh, and just you know just seeing the lights uh, on and people pouring into the theaters. Um, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. I'd go to any show. I'd just be happy that it was thriving and alive and happening. 
Oh my gosh, Dory, that is such a more diplomatic answer than me. I love it. <laughs> so, <laughs> but also so six. And also <laughs> six, right? You know? Well, that's funny. You know, I, I think we're all having all sorts of emotions every day um, as we as we uh, go, go through this time. The other day, I got very nostalgic for Wicked out of nowhere. And I thought mm. to myself, I mean, I, you know, I like Wicked and I haven't seen it in, since like 2012. But I've been thinking like, do I, I need to go back to see Wicked. Like when we're going to go and see Broadway shows again, I'm getting a ticket for Wicked, you know? <laughs> Guys, thank you both so much for this. This was, um, this was a fantastic conversation and I appreciate, uh, we both appreciate your time today. Thank you. This was, this was fascinating and, and hopeful. We're going to get there. Yes. Likewise. This was lovely. Dory, it's so nice talking with you like this. This is and- fabulous. You too, Lee. <laughs> and, and Jamie, always so great talking with you. Yeah, thank Round you guys two. for having us. It's groundbreaking, earth-shaking, life-affirming, breathtaking, gut-wrenching, heart-aching, into words it's history-making, that's why every actor strives for what we do. Rob here. That's our show. Thanks for listening. At this difficult time, please consider making a donation to the Actors Fund at actorsfund.org. The Fabulous Invalid is a production of O&M Etc. and The Fabulous Invalid LLC and a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. Our theme music is by Lucky Chops. Today's episode was edited and engineered by Charles Van Kirk. You can find us online at thefabulousinvalid.com and on social media at Fabulous Invalid and on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday. Stay well and be safe. The lady's improving, removing all doubt. She has hidden charms that are sure to come out. You're bound to Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Life's better with American Family Insurance. Because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com.
Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.